0: Hello and welcome to Dream Life Best Fit Role with me, Nikki Smith. I'm a psychologist and a career and business coach. I believe everybody can love their work and I help people to use their natural strengths to transform their work life and love their job. These podcast episodes shine a light on individuals who have created their Dream Life Best Fit Role or business. I focus on how they've played to their natural strengths, those activities that energise and inspire them, and how they've conducted mini-experiments to take the fear out of change and generate momentum. Hey everyone, I'm delighted to welcome Rob Rankin to the podcast today. Rob Rankin is the founder of Rankin & Co, and they help their commercial clients to solve problems and exploit opportunities. I was Very interested in interviewing Rob today because he's going to share how he's created his Dream Life Best Fit business, but also because of the growth of the business, how he's been able to create uh, flexible opportunities for other people, which in the legal industry is kind of rare. So welcome, Rob.
1: Thanks, Nikki. Nice to chat.
0: Absolutely. So first up, we want to know a bit about your business and really the purpose behind it.
1: Sure. we operate a a commercial law firm as you as you said our main goal is to help businesses and the the best way we think we can do that as a firm is really to help our lawyers we don't get much sympathy out in the real world us lawyers so looking after employees is important uh, because we feel the better experience our employee lawyers have the better they're able to serve our clients
0: yeah it's brilliant isn't it and when you were thinking about changing careers or starting a firm, what was happening at your key career crossroad?
1: Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll start at the start. I, I was before Rankin and Co was founded. I was a partner in a very traditional law firm. We did all the traditional things. We had a, a beige office, wore charcoal suits, black European uh, sedans or uh, four wheel drives. We um, charged in six minute uh, billable units. And we had a bit of a one-size-fits-all model, and that was for our clients and our staff. What really didn't impress me about that was while our our business was lucrative and some of the work was challenging, it wasn't entirely rewarding. We had lots of clients who needed help, and they needed help in individual ways because they were individual businesses. So I thought that the cookie-cutter approach wasn't working, and I thought I could do better. So after poking my head up and exploring a a range of options, including other employment opportunities with other firms, I decided to do it my way. And initially, yeah, that meant doing it on my terms and just working really closely with my clients to ensure I understood their business and could provide them with the appropriate legal service and advice on a basis that worked for them and and worked for me too.
0: And when you were weighing up, the pros and cons of working somewhere else and starting your own firm. Were there any worries about starting your own business?
1: Yeah, sure, I think I had what you'd consider the the usual anxiety about starting a business. I think one of the advantages I had was I had a close and loyal group of clients who wanted me to continue doing work as their lawyer and they weren't particularly fussed who I was affiliated with, they just wanted to make sure that I was available to to do the job. So going out on my own, I, I had that safety net, I suppose. It was pretty comforting but at the same time I didn't have illusions that those people would stick with me if things didn't work out and uh, one of the things I, I did to combat that issue was I had a, a list of people to call prospective clients uh, referral partners contacts and that was from you know my personal and professional life and I promised myself that I would make 50 phone calls a day because I you know again like a lot of people who started a, a new business I probably envisaged myself sitting around scratching my belly for a bit of the time and I just thought instead of that I'll pick up the phone try and make best use of the time happily I was busy from the get-go and I don't think I ever got more than 20 phone calls out in a day and that was whenever I finished a job or didn't know what I was going to do next pick up the phone make a phone call and you know that that generated enough work to see me through I think there's probably still people on that list that I haven't gotten to yet four years down the track
0: Perfect. So that sounds like that was one of the mini experiments that you put into place just to A, create momentum and B, probably reassure yourself that you're doing something productive towards your business. Was there anything else that you'd like to share that was a mini experiment that's something that you tested out early on?
1: Yeah, sure. I I think just about everything you do at the start of a business is a mini experiment, whether it's the software you're choosing or the, the website you build. I laid my bets in terms of I started with a very simple website, which was really just a, a brochure. I thought if people are Googling me, they, they just want to know that I exist. So the website didn't need to be too sophisticated to start off with using software like Office 365 and making sure everything that I did was available in the cloud and could support a, a mobile lawyer who was going out to visit clients and have meetings in the city without a, a traditional office. You know, that that was an experiment too. I think it, it's easy to, you know, look back now a few years later and say technology Technology is there and it works and you know, even in the last five years laptops and mobile phones the, the technology's improved enormously but didn't necessarily have to work out so I think they're all experiments
0: I have to say, I actually love that there's background noise in this (laughs) interview because it's just real life. You know, it's five o'clock on a Monday and both Rob and I have kids at home and it sounds like I've got more doors in between me and my kids, but its (laughs) I like it's real life. This is how it works. So Rob, you talked about you wanted to do it differently. So can you share more about that and what you want people to know about what you've created? Because it it's a very different model, isn't it?
1: Yeah, sure. Well, I started off, the plan was to build a small legal practice. My throwaway line was with no staff and no premises. I looked at my previous role and my staff as much as they're all terrific people in their professional capacity they presented me with a lot of headaches and the our premises and the associated costs were about 30% of our revenue and I thought for a professional services firm that you know really does everything on a on a laptop and a phone it was pretty unnecessary to, to carry all that overhead so I started out with no staff and no premises and pretty quickly failed on the no star front. The sort of light went on for me at one point, the background noise you referred to earlier, Nikki, that's my four year old daughter. So she was pretty much a newborn at the time. I think she was she was just one and she was upstairs playing with my twenty five dollar an hour nanny and I was doing, you know, some twenty five dollar an hour fairly basic admin work on some of my files. And I thought that's a little bit ass about. I'll play an admin person and go and play with my daughter. So I put on a, an admin person first. And for anyone who's starting out a professional services business, I, I recommend if you can get that bit right, get a, a good solid admin person who can do your books for you and you know keep an eye on all the, the admin in your business. It really takes the, the load off and allows you to do your thing. And uh, And it wasn't too long after that, probably another six months later when I put on my, my first lawyer, I toyed with a, a contractor model and pretty quickly learned that, I mean, managing lawyers is, is often a bit like herding cats, but not having the continuity of an employee was, was really challenging for larger matters such as litigation or large transactions that might run over weeks or months or years. So the continuity of an employee was important and I I put on my first employee solicitor about six months after my first admin person and it's been onwards and upwards from there. It's only the last 12 months where we've really intentionally built the practice nationally uh, and, and build those teams in Sydney and Brisbane. Originally when we were putting lawyers on it was really about, you know, developing a full range of services for our commercial clients. So, you know, we put on a tax lawyer and an employment expert and uh, areas like intellectual property law and, and litigation really built out the, the skill set of the team.
0: Can you share more about how you've done it differently in terms of you talked about wanting to be more personalized you talked about maybe not liking the six minute billing model, but I think also about the no premises. That's really interesting. I understand that everyone works flexibly and remotely. Is that right?
1: Yep, sure. I'll, I'll do the pricing thing first and then then talk about how we all work individually. The the pricing thing is pretty straightforward. Like I said earlier, in, in a traditional law firm model, it's a bit of a one size fits all. My view is if I'm sitting there with a, a client talking about a legal issue, I've probably dealt with that legal issue a hundred times. And often for the client, it's the one of the few times they'll have to deal with it in their business life. So in terms of pricing a job like that, I think the onus is really on the lawyers to, to help the client and be able to either offer a, a quote for go to woe, how much that job is going to cost or if we don't have enough information at least give a really useful indication about the the scope of the work the sort of information that's missing and the range of costs that that might be incurred in you know delivering that service or or solving that problem so probably 90% of the work we do now is is on that fixed fee basis We still have some clients who like to be billed on a time basis and we accommodate them as much as we accommodate anyone else. But price certainty is something that in this day and age I think is so important for business and and lawyers are, are coming to terms with that. In relation to how we work, I mentioned before, very keen to not have any premises. One of the criticisms that was leveled at me in my last partnership was that I was never in the office. I agreed entirely because I've spent a lot of my time out of the office, visiting clients, you know, working with management teams or different business owners in their business to better understand their business and provide better legal services. Not having premises really encourages the team to do that. Otherwise, it's about flexibility. I mean, you know, not many people really enjoy that. Forty five minute or an hour commute in the morning i mean you can listen to podcasts or you know watch tv on your ipad or whatever but if you've got a young family like me that breakfast time seven thirty till nine o'clock in the morning is pretty valuable and if you're out of the house for all of that it's less than ideal
0: yes let's just stop there for a minute Yes, yeah. <laughs> yes. Our oh, commutes drive people bananas. They really do, especially if it's over the thirty-minute mark. That point is so important, and maybe the challenge that we put out to people is to think much more flexibly about that.
1: Yeah, with our team, because, you know, people are working either from home or, I mean, our firm makes use of co-working spaces or might use a a boardroom or an office in one of our referral partners' premises, you know, an accountant or an insolvency practitioner or a barrister that we're working with on a case or our clients' premises, but it's that flexibility for our team that counts and and doing it on their terms and and really when it suits them. Now, obviously our clients have expectations and time pressures. So working whenever suits you doesn't necessarily mean once in a blue moon or 10 hours a week. It does mean that you can fit it in around your other, whether it's family commitments or, I mean, some of our team, they have coffee with their friends during the day. They they might go to a yoga class. They, They might sleep in. One of our corporate team, he's a night owl. And generally we try to push his appointments to after midday. Now when he was, work in a national firm that had a big office in the city the expectation was you'd be at your desk from 8am and if you weren't there then the rest of the team were entitled to be a little bit cranky with you because they'd made the effort but there was no reason for anyone to be at their desk at 8am if they were getting the work done so i think people in our teams know each other's preferences and, and yeah we can support each other to work the way we want
0: Which is brilliant. And actually, it's pretty ridiculous, isn't it? I don't know what the percentage is of night hours versus morning larks, but you'd you'd think it would be possibly half-half, something like that. Yet the traditional employment structure is absolutely daytime
1: hours. And pretty inflexible too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. What kind of feedback have you had from your employees around the remote working and to some degree flexible hours? Because you're treating them like an adult, aren't you? This is a model where you're actually treating your team like adults. Is that how you see it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I, I used that line recently. I was talking to a couple of partners from another law firm and they were quizzing me on, uh, on, you know, on our firm and our model and how things were working. And they said, how do you know if your team are all you know, spread all over the country and working from their spare room or a co-working space in the city? Or how do you know if they're actually working? And I said, well, we employ adults. the The legal industry, the pay is pretty good. We're professionals who've trained for a long time, provide a high value service, and they're well remunerated. So I don't think it's unreasonable to expect or assume that they're working hard for our clients. And and if they don't, you know, it might not show up in a couple of days or even a couple of weeks. But you learn pretty quickly, you know, in any sort of work environment, who's performing or not. If they're not doing any work, then I think it's pretty clear pretty quickly. Happily, we haven't had that issue yet with any of our team. I think the advantages of having a, a model that's a bit different is it's it's kind of self-selecting. Everyone who works in our team is joined because they want to work this way and they want to work in this sort of environment. One of the the hazards of having a, a traditional law firm was you got a bunch of employees, and certainly not across the board, but um, scattered throughout, a bunch of employees who didn't really want that job. You might be a stepping stone employer, or you might be a job job just because they assume they have to have a job or they're waiting to become a fifth-year lawyer rather than a third-year lawyer so they can move up a pay grade or something. But in our firm, everyone has had the luxury of looking at a number of options and decided that this is the way they want to work. And I think that really helps the engagement.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And do you have a before and after story that you can share about one of your staff, do you think?
1: Yeah, we've got a, a number of terrific stories about people who've joined the team and blossomed. One of my favourites is one of my colleagues, Joseph, who, when we met, he was pretty disillusioned with the legal industry. He'd left a, a national firm, you know, relatively senior role, really because of what he perceived as a, a fairly toxic culture, and was exploring options in the legal marketing space, stopping being a lawyer but doing some some marketing in our industry. Now, Joseph's a very good lawyer, and he really enjoys being a lawyer. And when I spoke to him about the role with our firm, he, he sat there for the whole initial cup of coffee with his arms folded. And believing a word out of my mouth which in his circumstances i think was entirely reasonable but i encouraged him to catch up with a couple of the team and i think he established pretty quickly that they'd be direct with him and like i said he's really blossomed now he's been working with us for just over a year and a half and loves his work he's got two young children as well so they're an important part of his life and he said to me a few weeks ago his little boy had you know, a bump on the head at school and he got the phone call and one of the parents come down and give him a hug and, and he was a couple of hundred metres up the road at, at his house so he was able to down tools, wander down, do some nice happy parenting and come back to work at his leisure. So, yeah, that's been a real success.
0: I love that story for a number of reasons. One of them is that you encouraged him to speak to team members. And I think that's incredibly valuable for people to hear that because that's what I encourage people to do when they go for an interview. Every organization can claim they have a certain culture, can't they? But the reality can be totally different. And the best way to understand more about the role that you're going into and the team and culture that you're about to enter is absolutely to speak to a team member or more. So I love that you encouraged him to actually speak to the team because that's where you're going to get the real story and the real insights. And hopefully that matches up to the story that you told.
1: Two things about that. One, you know, our industry, like many others, is replete with a lot of talk about work-life balance and flexibility and and all that sort of thing, but it, it doesn't really bear out. Um, i don't know how much you know about the the legal industry nikki but we tend to top the charts in terms of anxiety and depression and you know mass exodus from a profession and all that sort of thing but i'm not much of a salesman and i don't see the point of of getting anyone to to come and join the team on false pretenses our whole business is built on relationships with our you know with our colleagues and our clients and that means it's got to work for them and it's got to work for us so if you're interested in genuine long-term relationships there's no sense in telling it other than how it is and introducing prospective team members to existing team members serves a a few purposes. I mean, it starts a relationship amongst the team or the, the future team, but it's also a bit of a vetting process. And as much as we're interviewing a potential recruit, they're also interviewing us and need to know that we're all right for each other.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm interested in knowing what some of the best parts of creating this different model. like. Have there been just some days or scenarios when you thought that you're really glad that you did this or really proud that you did this?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Most days. When I started the business, I think uh, uh, even a few weeks in, uh, my only regret was that I hadn't done it a couple of years earlier. And anyone, whether you're a lawyer looking to, to start your own practice or, or, or in any other business looking to pursue a dream of having your, your own business, I recommend you just get started. Building it and iterating and changing things up is definitely better than trying to plan for a perfect, the perfect business. But in terms of, I guess, you know, as a smaller firm, if you have a win in a, a transaction for a client or a piece of litigation against one of the large incumbent firms that can be satisfying, any win for our clients or, or team members is always fantastic. And every Monday morning we have a, a team meeting. We we all get together at a cafe, have breakfast together and talk about our, our week ahead and talk about what everyone's got on their plate. And part of that meeting agenda is an acknowledgement section and we acknowledge the wins that we've had for and on behalf of our clients and personally as well over the previous week so
0: yeah celebrating what you've done actually rewires our brain for happiness which means we actually scan for positive outcomes and then happiness actually is the best predictor of success so you're setting up the whole team for success i love it so rob let's share a bit about your strengths and how you leverage them in the work week Because when we focus on our strengths for 60 to 80% of our work week, we significantly boost our productivity, our resilience, our creativity. And so I'm really keen to hear what you think yours are and perhaps one or two things you do in your work week to leverage them.
1: Yep, sure. In terms of the things I think I'm good at, where I I get feedback from the team about making a a useful contribution, probably two key areas. One's in terms of uh, coming up with ideas, so creative thinking or strategic thinking. I'm pretty good at thinking outside the square, drawing disparate ideas together, suggesting ludicrous ideas, um, according to some of my team, and then trying to justify them or or bring people around. And I really enjoy that, whether that's on a legal problem. So it might be a, a client problem where the legal arguments might be a bit skinny. And so we might brainstorm some different legal or commercial ways of approaching a problem for a client or in my own business there's lots of different ways that we can utilize technology ways we can engage with stakeholders in our business uh, whether it's clients or barristers or employees or admin service providers all those sorts of things and being prepared to play around with the options or not take no for an answer is is, is something else i'd probably put in that category i say why can't we do it this way you you know you usually get 10 different reasons why you can't um, and then knocking those excuses or obstacles down is always fun. So that's the yeah the ideas or strategic thinking. The other area that I think I'm I'm useful in is uh, relationship building. I find that one I guess fairly easy for me. It's just having a genuine interest in in people. I'm not the best conversationalist or the most sociable person. Or I've got friends and colleagues who can command a room much better than me, um, but uh, I, I think you know having that genuine interest, caring for people, trying to help them. On their journey is something that i'm that I'm pretty good at it and genuinely committed to so
0: and I love your description of relationship building, having a genuine interest, caring and trying to help them, and it's amazing how powerful that combination is. I think a lot of people perhaps undervalue how good they are at it or how good they could be because they think they need to be more extroverted or they think they need some special superpower. But I actually love that combination that you referenced. So genuine interest in people, caring for them and helping them. It's amazing how noticed you are when you actually just simply try to help people because unfortunately that's a bit more rare these days.
1: Often we have clients who want us to help them with, with a particular legal issue, but they often have other problems as well. And if you can... You know, like I said earlier, take an interest in in their business and what they're trying to achieve more broadly and make some suggestions or or connections for them in other areas of their their lives or their business and that just helps to strengthen the relationship.
0: Absolutely. So if we're thinking about strengths, we like to focus most of our attention on that but I think it is also worth just touching on for a minute, is there a weakness you feel like you have that you actually partner up with someone else to mitigate that weakness?
1: Well, I think there probably you know just the the other side of the same coin in terms of the strengths i mentioned creative thinking before that can uh, sometimes send me off uh, on a tangent or, or or waste a fair bit of time yeah going down the wrong rabbit hole in terms of combating that, I guess I surround myself with people who I think have complementary skills or, or a different take on things. And uh, a couple of my colleagues, I'm especially attuned to. And if you know, if I if I start getting too ridiculous, I can count on them to rein me in. We have a fairly flat structure in the in the firm. We don't have senior people and junior people and anything like that. So we have a great culture of people just sharing ideas and sharing criticism in those ideas as well. So yeah, one of my weaknesses perhaps is to head off at a bit of a tangent. And in those circumstances, I rely on my team to tell me when it's, when I'm not being particularly useful. <laughs> Excellent. That happens quite a bit. Yeah,
0: so you surround yourself with the right people. Absolutely. So for me, I think of 100 ideas and I've surrounded myself with people who help me to prioritise the top three. Rob, we generally look at a negative belief or self-talk that people have. Most people have a recurring one or two things that they have either still learning to overcome or that they've mastered it a while ago. Do you have something to share there?
1: Yeah, sure. I think anyone who starts up a new venture, and this was certainly true for me, is, is going to have that voice in their head saying, "What if this doesn't work out?" And maybe you're uh, you're being a bit foolish, and you know all those sorts of negative associations that that come with that voice or that mindset. I'm pretty lucky in that I'm a, a fairly optimistic person, but I always took it back to what I call worst-case scenario thinking, and this applies to some of my friends who are a little bit stalled in their careers and talk to me about starting their own businesses the conversation's as simple as well hang on a sec say you started your own business and and things went terribly and you know there was a a dip in the economy or your industry collapsed and your business failed what would you do then and most of them say well i'd probably have to get a job and you say what sort of job would you get and they say, well probably a pretty similar job to the one I've got now. And you say, okay, so you're currently living your own worst case scenario. It's pretty hard to argue with that sort of logic. And if that's your worst case scenario, it's not exactly the breadline and you don't have a whole lot to worry about.
0: Exactly, exactly. I think that worst case scenario question is extremely helpful and yes what's the worst case scenario is that you'll need to get a job again which is where you are now yeah I love that and look my top tip for people starting their own businesses is to actually negotiate their work week to a four-day work week and start that business on the fifth day if you're I mean obviously that's easier if you're in an industry that doesn't have a compete clause issue
1: I was going to say, get get your lawyer to check your restraint provisions in your contract.
0: Exactly. Yeah. So if you're wondering where you sit with that, just go talk to Rob. But certainly a lot of industries, that's absolutely fine to do. And when people come to me, often the side business that we're starting is actually very different from the current industry that they're in. So there's absolutely no problem there. But yeah, that's a really good tip. So up next, we've got setting a mini challenge for people not listening in, which will help them to get one step closer to their dream life or dream life best fit role or business.
1: I'm not very good at sort of one step or setting a small challenge. I'm more jump off the cliff and build the wings on the way down sort of sort of person.
0: Then play to your strengths and go there. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so uh, I guess preparation for anything in well, probably life, but business is is important. So you know, research the hell out of whatever you you're looking to do, and you know, don't believe the snake oil salesman. Don't get paralysed by um, by the research or all the information. Just learn enough and have a go.
0: Rob, if people are interested in connecting with you, either becoming a potential employee or even just finding out more about Rob Rankin & Co and the services you offer, what's the best way for them to find out?
1: We're blasted all over the internet. So Facebook, LinkedIn, our website, www.rankinandco.com or an email or telephone call i'm a face-to-face person so yeah if you're listening to this and uh, especially if you're a lawyer and interested in talking about careers and options always happy to chat i was very lucky throughout my career to enjoy the generosity of lots of my fellow practitioners and senior people and always looking to pay that back
0: that's brilliant you don't hear that every day so take it seriously rob's happy to chat Rob, thank you so much for sharing a bit more about Rob Rankin & Co and the story behind it and some of the highlights, really. Thank you.
1: Thanks so much, Nikki.
0: Thanks, fantastic. We'll say bye for now. Bye. Thanks for listening. Two things I'd like to mention. Firstly, if you're keen to boost your happiness at work, then head on over to www.nikkismith.net.au, which is N-I-K-K-I-S-M-I-T-H and sign up for your starter kit. I share tips in there that are easy to implement and are pure gold. Secondly, if you crave a new work role and have no idea what to do, or lots of ideas but don't know where to start, then head on over and check out the 7-Step Career Change Online Programme. This is an awesome system I use to help people create their dream life best fit role, which is a role that matches their strengths, interests and lifestyle needs. It will move you from feeling fed up, unsure and unconfident to clear, inspired and motivated in six weeks. Plus, if you want to hear more stories like this one, please subscribe and spread the word. Till next time.